0: All right, let me open this in prayer, and we'll uh, dive back into uh, uh, failing forward. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, God, thank you for uh, the opportunity to go back to your Word and um, examine the hearts and the lives of the men who are in Scripture and then glean the insights and principles that uh, apply to us in our lives uh, even this day. And so, God, uh, let us see uh, truth in your Word. Let us see ourselves in your Word today. Uh, so that we can become everything that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, Well, we have been in the middle of a series entitled Felling Forward. We've been looking at Peter's life. uh, And over the last couple of weeks, we've been in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, uh, where Peter uh, and John and the other apostles uh, have been commanded and told by the Sanhedrin uh, that you are not to preach the gospel. You are no longer to share the gospel. And their response was simply, you be the judge, but we are willing, and we are going to obey God and not man. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 3, pick it up at verse 11. Let me set the context of what has happened in the first 10 verses. Uh, Peter and John were walking along the road. Pentecost has happened. Uh, people have begun to uh, hear about Jesus Christ and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now what's happened is Peter and John are walking along the road, and they encounter this guy we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, this, this man that was basically Lame. And, and he reaches out his hand and he asked Peter and John for some money. And Peter and John responded basically, silver and gold have we none, but what we do have we will give to you. They grab him by the hand, they raise him up, and he begins to walk. And as he begins to walk, everybody has seen this man who was lame from birth. And so a crowd begins to gather around going, I think that's Peter and John. I think those are the ones that are preaching the gospel. I think those are the ones that everybody's following. And so Peter takes it as an opportunity as a crowd gathers uh, to preach a sermon. You know, that's exactly what a good preacher will always do. Get a crowd, he's going to preach. And so notice as we pick it up in verse 11, here's what uh, Peter does. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, he says all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, hey, hey, hey brothers and sisters uh, uh, who are Israelites, with me, he says, why does this surprise you at all? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or our own godliness we had something to do with this man walking? And what are they doing? They're saying, why are you looking at us? And we serve a God who, if you just think back in history, has been a miracle-working God all the time. If you think about the miracles that were performed back when we were in slavery in Egypt and God delivered all the plagues to the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh let the children go. And as the, as the children uh, were leaving of Israel were leaving Egypt, going across the Red Sea, God divided a miracle-working God. He divided uh, the waters of the sea and Pharaoh pursued in and the waters overwhelmed them and the children of Israel walked out on dry ground. And then the children of Israel journeyed a little further, and they were in the desert, and they were out of water. And you gave them water. And you went a little further down the road, and and you sent Moses up on a mountain, and he stood face to face with God, and he came back with the Ten Commandments. And then you ultimately went into the Promised Land, and although you were unfaithful the first time, and caused yourself because of the spies who, who made your hearts melt, You journeyed around in the desert until a whole generation died. But even then, God performed miracle after miracle after miracle. Even as you were walking for 40 years out in a disobedient desert, God still fed you. God still led you. Then he brought you back to the promised land where you stood at a Jordan River that was completely full. And Joshua, after Moses was dead, God looked at Joshua and he says, listen, Moses, my servant is dead. Joshua chapter one. You can go read it. Be strong and courageous. Do not be fearful. He says, if you keep the book of the law on your heart and on your mind and follow it day by day, you'll be successful wherever you go. Then God looked at Joshua and said, gather the people, consecrate the priests. The next day, the Jordan River's not gonna dry up until you have enough faith to step into the water. And so the next day, they did exactly that. They stepped into the water. The Jordan River was stopped up. They crossed through in dry land. They ultimately ended up dominating Jericho and inhabiting the Promised Land. And so Peter is saying, why? Does this surprise you? God has been performing miracles day after day and year after year in the people of God's life. Don't look at us. Look at God. And that's where you and I want to be today. That same place is, is don't ever look at a man. When God is doing something neat, don't look at man. Look at God. Because at the end of the day, men are always going to let you down, right? Right? I will promise you guys, uh, men will let you down. Even the best pastor in the world at some point in some way will let you down. Some will let you down more than others. Don't just look at deacons. Deacons will let you down. We always want to look at God. And that's exactly what Peter and John say. Guys, don't look at us. Why does this surprise you? The God, notice what he says. He says, why do you look at us as if by our power or even our godliness, we had something to do with this man. Well, notice who he says you should look at, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over and killed him. You disowned him before Pilate. Though he, hadn't, he, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one talking about Jesus and asked that a murderer would be released instead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this very thing. Look at verse 14. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name that the faith comes through him that has completely healed him. And then notice, as you can see, as you can all see this. Now, as you go back to this, notice that phrase in there. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, that is an often used reference throughout the Old Testament to remind the children of God, the followers of God, in every stage, in every age, whether they were passionately worshiping God or whether they were in disobedience to God, they were always reminded that they are to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, when you hear those three names, what do you think of? We're in the middle of a series entitled Felling Forward. What do you think of when you think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, if you think men who perfectly followed God in every area of their life, you are wrong and you are dead wrong. Because every one of those men had massive failures in their life. Abraham, the one who received the ultimate promise, he didn't have the patience to wait on God, took matters into his own hands, ended up with an illegitimate son that God had to reject Isaac Isaac had sin in his life Jacob good Lord Jacob's name the very name means contentious one or deceiver his whole life he was ripping people off but God says He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if we go to Genesis chapter 32, it's an interesting thing that Abraham lacked faith. Isaac lacked faith in his ultimate life. But Jacob was actively, basically conniving against everybody with the help of his mom. That he was a twin. uh, Somebody tell me, what what was his twin brother's name? Esau. There we go. And what was the difference between Jacob and Esau? Somebody that tells me no, huh? Hair, no hair. A hunter, a gatherer. Mama's boy, do the dishes. They were significantly different. Who loved Jacob? Okay, besides God, that's good. Uh, who loved Jacob? Mama. Uh, who loved Esau? Daddy, all right. When it comes down time, where, where 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 Isaac is about to die. Remember the shenanigans that went on, uh, that that the birthright was basically stolen with the help of Mom. All right, and and after the birthright is stolen, Esau is going to do what to him? He's going to kill him, right? And so mom looks at Jacob, says, hey, I recommend you go off to my brother and go over there and might as well stay for a while, linger for a while, and find a wife, right? And, and so he goes over there with, his, uh, with, with Laban, right? And Laban is uh, sitting there, and Laban's got two daughters. How many of you remember this story? He's got two daughters, and uh, what, what does Jacob do? He does what you and I would do. He falls in love with which one? The pretty one. Exactly. By the way, if that's all you need to get out of today, go for the pretty one. All right. I don't know where else you can find that in Bible, but go for the pretty one if you got to. And if it's not pretty, make sure she's rich in Jesus name. Uh, But so he falls in love with the pretty one, right? It's not seven yet. But he he, he makes a deal. His father-in-law, what was the deal? Work for seven years, right? Work for seven years, and I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. He works for seven years waiting to marry Rachel. And what does the father-in-law do? Gives him Leah. All right? And and, and the father-in-law basically deceives the deceiver. And he says, listen, it's not, you should know these things. It's not customary that we would give the younger daughter's hand in marriage in front of the older daughter's hand. And he goes, but I'll make you ill. deal. You work for me another seven years, you can have the pretty one. She better have been pretty, right? I mean, that's all I got to say. 14 years worth of work, she better have been pretty. But he does it. Then he decides, I'm going to gather my belongings up, and I'm going to leave, and he starts going back to his home country. Uh Uh-oh. Past sins always show up in your face, don't they? I don't know about you, but I've experienced that in my life, and I'm sure you've experienced that in your life. That there have been times that you've thought you've walked away from an old habit, an old sin, an old struggle, an old this or an old that only to find yourself face-to-face with a problem you've seen before. And that's exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 32. As Jacob and his family and his two brides are making their way back his servants come to him and says, uh, "We've got a problem. Esau is coming to meet you." And so here Jacob is faced with a dilemma. He's got Laban behind him pursuing him, his father-in-law, because somebody ended up being Rachel, steals some things from the father's house, and you've got Esau in front of you. And guys, there are times in our lives that we are caught in the middle and our sinful past is what created the problem to begin with. And we find ourselves in a place like we are in Genesis chapter 32 and the, and the conniving, deceiving Jacob immediately begins to develop a plan. What was his plan? Huh? That's right. That he says, I'm going to divide up my people, and I'm going to send my family in different groups. I'm going to let them go first to encounter uh, my brother Esau. And perhaps if he attacks one, the word can get to the other one so the rest of us can escape. And so here's what happens is he sends them alone. He stays on this side of the Jabbok River. All of a sudden he is all alone. He doesn't have people around him. He doesn't have his wives with him. It is just Jacob and God. And guys, there are times when you and I somehow some way have to find ourselves alone with God and we have to do business with God. And so let me read the story for you as you look at it. Pick it up in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It says that night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jacob. After he sent them across the stream, He sent over all of his possessions, so Jacob was all alone. Guys, sometimes the greatest seasons of reckoning, sometimes our greatest blessings happen when we are all alone. Sometimes our greatest depressions happen when we are all alone, right? Sometimes our greatest worries show up when we are all alone. But Jacob has this moment and season and time when it is going to be a night with just him and God. And so guys, there don't ever be afraid of taking a moment away And just simply say, God, this is me and you. Get rid of the distractions. Put away your phone. Separate yourself. And say, God, in my moment, in my night, in my day alone, just me and you. Let's talk. And so notice as you read on, it says, so Jacob was left all alone. "...and a man wrestled with him till daybreak." It says, "...when the man saw that the, he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man." It says, "...then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, replied I will not let you go until you bless me." So thought number one is sometimes our greatest blessings come in times of loneliness and isolation, just us and God. Here's a second thing, guys, you need to know, and you might want to write this down. Sometimes our greatest blessings are accompanied by pain. That sometimes it takes pain to get our attention. How many of you understand that? I don't know about you but when I was growing up my uh, my father did not spare the rod do you understand what I'm talking about every time my father delivered a lick he got my attention do we understand what we're talking about all right my father was uh, was, was He may be like yours or very, not, not much like you. My dad didn't whip me a lot. But he did decide if he was going to whip me, he was going to do it with all his might. And I never got more than three pops, ever. And typically, when I was committing an offense against what I knew was one of my father's rules, I knew when I was doing it, if I got caught, if it was a one, a two, or a three. And my dad had a tendency to sit there and wait after it hit you once and you were crying and welling and crying and welling. He would make you wait until you completely shaped up and recovered before he did it again. He made you stop crying. I mean, so sometimes these things would go 30 minutes and I was thinking, I'm just going to wear him down. And it was not. Are you ready? No, 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 no. Okay. Are you ready now? No, 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 no. But sometimes it took that to get my attention. Very rarely did I repeat the offense. And sometimes we need to understand, guys, our greatest blessings happen when we are all alone, when we don't have the cover of anybody else. Sometimes it is accompanied with pain. And guys, if you are going through a season in your life where you have committed a offense, you've done something wrong, and it is a painful experience, I want to encourage you with this. Start looking for the lesson. Start looking for the lesson. There is a lesson in every season of pain if we are willing to look at it. And we're willing to look for it. Then notice what happens. Uh, It it says, um, he was all along, but Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now pick it up in verse 27. It says, the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be called Jacob. What is that? Deceiver. But now your name will be called Israel because you have struggled with God. All right? You have struggled with God and with humans and ultimately have overcome." He has gone from being Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, the cheater, the schemer, and the scammer, uh, to ultimately being Israel, uh, which means prince with God. The God has totally changed his name. So here you have this guy that has had a checkered past from birth. He is one mistake after another, one scheme, one conniving after another, and all of a sudden there comes this moment, there comes this night that he is all alone. He's got no other defense. He's got Laban pursuing him from the from behind, and he's got his brother Esau in front of him. Both of them are fully capable of wiping him out, and then he finds himself all alone, just him and God, and he wrestles with the man of God. Now, as we think about this, for you and I, it is not wrong and it is not bad to be alone with God. Guys, if you don't have these seasons and moments where you get along and you wrestle with God about what God wants in your life, then you need to start figuring out a, a consistent pattern. I will tell you as your, pa- as your pastor, I have consistent times in my life that I get alone with God and I wrestle with God. What do you want us to do next? What do you want us to do next? There's been a lot of them in the COVID season. And this year, as the pastor, God, what do you want us to do next? Because there, And, and a lot of times it's because we don't know what to do next, right? But we want to wrestle with God. Sometimes these times of loneliness where we beg for God's blessing, they happen uh, after we've made a mistake, after we've dropped the ball. But being alone with God is oftentimes when the best blessing takes place, but it also sometimes is accompanied by pain. Pain is a great teacher for each and every one of us. Now, notice what it says. It says basically that um, the guy touched his hip, wrenched his hip. I don't know how many of you in here have ever had hip problems. Anybody in here have a hip replaced? Anybody have a new hip? Anybody? No new hips in the room? That's impressive. But let me tell you what, when when you hurt someone's hip, you've hurt everything, right? You can isolate a knee, you can isolate an elbow and even a shoulder, but you can't isolate an ankle, you can isolate an ankle, but you cannot isolate a hip. And it is obvious, when someone has a hip problem, they walk with a limp. And so wrestling with God, going through the experience of the pain and the loneliness, ultimately coming to the lesson that you are no longer a deceiver, but instead you are a prince with God and a prince for God, that is going to leave a mark. And it was going to be a distinguishing feature. And I love this, that even in the midst of everything that Jacob had going on in his life, that he hung on to God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Guys, There needs to be some tenacity and veracity in our fight with God to hang on to God. Then we don't want to give up easily. If I've I've, uh, struggled with God and I've prayed and I've asked God time and time again, God, what is your will for my life? Guys, don't ever give up on that easily. Hang in there and hang on. And know that God still has something planned for your life, regardless of what you've done in your past. This guy's whole life, as best we can tell, he wasn't the prodigal that grew up and did everything right for a while, and then had a prodigal season and came back. Man, almost from day one, he had some scam or scheme going on. But the beautiful thing is, when he wrestled with God, God still had a plan for him. I love what uh, Jeremiah said, and Jared, don't go there. Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verse 9 and 10, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, guys, there are times in my life, and my guess is in your life, that you have desired more than anything to love God. How many of you, I believe we've all done that, right? And then all of a sudden, a thought comes through your mind or, or, or something shows up in your heart that you know doesn't please God and you don't even get it. Have you ever been that? I mean, you've ever said, God, man, I just spent time in worship and confession and loving and then all, you know, loving you and loving in your word. And then all of a sudden something rolls through my mind and rolls through my heart that I don't get it. Well, Jeremiah was honest. He said, guys, be careful. The heart is deceitful and it is desperately wicked. And the only thing we can do in those times is hang on to God. And don't ever listen to your heart. Your heart will lead you into more trouble than you can possibly imagine. That's why it's so important that God's people, God's men, men of God, stay connected with other godly men. Stay connected in words. Stay connected with this church. Why? Because left to our own devices, we will go right back to the place that we know we ought not to be. Why? Because our hearts are wicked and desperate. Solomon put it this way, just like a dog returns to his... Guys, have you ever felt like you've returned to a past sin and it's exactly like returning to the vomit of yesterday? Do you understand? That's vivid imagery, right, for men. But haven't we all done it? Have you ever committed a sin or done something that you said, I'll never do that again? Never again. And you do it again. Why? Why? Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked and if we don't hang out hang on to God if we don't hang out and hang out and and read God's Word if we don't hang in and hang out with God's men and God's people in our church we will consistently be drawn back to the sinfulness of our past so let me give you a couple of thoughts as we look forward look at it pick it up in verse 30 so Jacob called the place Peniel saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It says this is a beautiful thing. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket and the hip. Honestly, before that day, they shouldn't have done it. It says, because the socket of Jacob's hip, hip was touched near the tendon. Let me give you a couple of thoughts as we close. Thought number one. Permanent blessings come from God when, write this down, guys, we admit that our way isn't working. Guys, if you are pig-headed, hard-headed, the worst thing you can ever do is not be humble enough to say, my way is not working. Permanent blessings come. When we just step back and say, God, I pretty much screwed this whole thing up. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life? Can you think about it? You know, step back. Guys, I want you to know as your pastor, I'm sitting up here looking back on things in my life, on my life, just one life, not lives. And there are times I look back, and I wonder how it got there. And I realize I screwed it up. That's on me. God some of the greatest blessings. You're struggling with your wife or your kids? Drop the pride, drop the arrogance, walk in, look them in the eye, and say, "This one's on me. This one's on me. God's the greatest blessing you will ever have. Is when you can go in and look in someone's in the eye, in the eye. And you can say, that one's on me. That one's on me. You know, and there are times that you will do that, and it is the right thing, and someone on this world, on this earth, will reject you, but here's who will never reject you. Guys, when we get on our hands and knees. And metaphorically speaking, look into the eyes of the Father and say, God, this one's on me. God, I'm not going to say, God, how could you let this happen? I'm going to say, God, this one's on me. Some of the greatest blessings you will ever have is when you acknowledge and we acknowledge that my way doesn't work. Here, let me give you a second thought as we close. after I acknowledge that it was on me, that we have to be willing to accept the good and the bad consequences for our actions. See, just because I get things right with God and I know ultimate blessings are gonna come, I still have to deal with the consequences. I've known men, and maybe some in this room or some watching on Zoom, that you've done something in your past and you truly have confessed You have truly asked asked for forgiveness, but the consequences are still coming. After I've acknowledged my way doesn't work, I've confessed it. Then I have to be willing to deal with the good and the bad consequences because that's the way life is. And here's the final thought. After I've realized and acknowledged my way doesn't work, I'm willing to accept the good and the bad consequences. Here's the final thought. We have to be really willing to allow God to change our heart. And almost every day, your prayer needs to be, God, change my heart from being one that is desperately wicked that is deceiving that is filled with lies that is filled with selfishness maybe filled with lust God change my heart and God I'm going to hang on to you until you do even if I leave here with a limb let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you, God, that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Men mightily blessed by you, but men who are also broken. God, my prayer is that every man in this room, as they leave this place, perhaps several times throughout this day, they would refer to you as the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then they would insert their name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.